Hello and welcome guys to another episode of Real Talk with Benno. We are lucky enough today to be listening and talking to Liam Pickering, formerly of the Geelong Football Club, now in player and coach management. Liam, thanks for coming on, mate. No worries at all, Benno. Good to be here, mate. Playing management, we'll start really quickly. Busy time of the year for you now? Are we heading into Christmas period? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now that the, well, once we get the grand final out of the way and then uh, trade period ramps up and then the draft and before you know it, you've got a whole group of new players coming through, so... Um, yeah, you can sort of see the trade period sort of talks already started. So uh, we'll have a little bit going on. Not that much, I don't think, this year. It seems to be pretty quiet with the trading. Yeah, a lot of deals seem to be free agents. Are either re-signing with current clubs or deals seem to be as good as done pretty early. Um, we'll, we'll dive into the play management, the trade stuff, because there is plenty of that I think that you'll be able to enlighten us on. We'll dive into that a bit later on. But I want to start off with your playing career. Um, can't be forgotten. You, you played in what was a really successful to a limit era for Geelong. Obviously not as successful as one we've seen in the past decade or maybe 20 years, but it was quite a good era. You played with some with great names. What what was it like playing with, with those guys? Obviously you got Bill Brown, was Gary Ablett, Sena, those kind of characters. Oh, that no, was fantastic. I loved it. the time at Geelong. I was there for eight years. Um, yeah, so eight seasons at Geelong after five pretty un- unsuccessful ones at North Bowen, really, from a personal point of view. But... I did enjoy my time at North as well, but no, I loved it. I loved playing with the Cats and playing with all those legends and yeah, a lot of great mates from, from Geelong, but it was, a, it was a pretty special team to play in. I mean, under Blighty for the first couple of years and then Gary Ayres and I finished off under Mark Thompson. His first year was my last year, but I was sort of injured most of the year. So um, no, it was good to go through, transition through a lot of big wins and you know, a couple of horrible losses in grand finals, but that, that sort of footy. And, um, no, it was, a, it was a pretty pretty great time in my life. You, t- you touched on some horrible losses in grand finals. You guys obviously didn't achieve the ultimate success as a group. Was was there anything in particular you look back on now that maybe stopped you? Or did you just maybe get some, made some good teams at the wrong time? Yeah, I think we, well, I mean, so I got there in 93. Uh, 93, we had, we missed out in the finals by percentage, but we was only a top five then, I reckon. Top five or top six or something. It wasn't certainly more than top eight, but we'd beaten all those finals teams on the on the run home. So, and we, we sort of got away to a slowish start that year, but we finished strong. Then 94, we won three finals. So we won two after the siren, which was that Billy Brownless one where he's the king of Geelong. And then an under undermanned Geelong team, we took on Carlton out away. We beat them. And then we beat North after the siren with Gary Ablett's hand of God goal. So we got there. We were a little bit wounded when we got there. And, and then we came up against a really good team, West Coast. And they had our measure in the early 90s. They were a team we really struggled to beat. So... And then 95 was a really successful year. We, we were you know, top two all year. Uh, Carlton finished on top. And then you know, we'd won our, both of our finals, like the qualifying final and the prelim easily. Um, and then got to grand final day and just had, had a, put in a stinker. I'm not sure what we were doing. But uh, geez, we were poor. We were very undisciplined early. So in 96, we sort of petered out a bit. And then 97 was a really good shot, I thought, for us to win it. And we copped North Melbourne on a... Sunday night under you know, in the rain, Wayne Carey, we copped Wayne Carey really, seven I think, out of about 11. And then uh, the following week they sent us to Adelaide and we'd only finished, finished top, equal top. We missed out on top spot. It was back then it was first versus eighth, second versus seventh, etc. So we finished same points as St Kilda and I think about a percent behind them. And they ended up, so they got Brisbane Bears and we copped North Melbourne to start the final. So that wasn't ideal. Um, I wish I wouldn't have minded playing the Brisbane Bears first up and going straight into a prelim, but yeah, ended up sending us to Adelaide and we got knocked over over there. 
you, you touched on 97 there. Obviously, for you, best and fairest year, terrific year. What was it for you that year that, that maybe came together? Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, I'd had, yeah, I'd had a few injuries in the back end of 96. I'd missed the last six games, I reckon. I'd, I tore a, uh, I did a hamstring and then a quad. So I didn't play in the finals in 96. And then 97, I, it was a slow start because I got injured in the pre-season. Um, I can't think what the injury was. I think it might have been a calf or something. I can't remember. But I wasn't, I wasn't picked for the round one and two. So I was, it was a really slow start. I wasn't, just wasn't selected. So in the end, I think I got in round three. Um, after we, we lost to Port Adelaide. And there was a heap of us run. Look, there was Gary Senior played in the seconds. In 90, the first game in 97, did his ACL in the second quarter and stayed on the ground, kicked seven or eight. Or might have been more. So he was in the seconds. Billy was in the seconds. I was in the seconds. Bluey McGraw were in the seconds. And Blighty, uh, sorry, he played all these young blokes. And then he wanted speed and we went over to play Port Adelaide. It was their first year in the comp and they ran and oh, they just killed us. So anyway, we had a big team meeting and he put us all in the next week and I think we won about the next seven and away we went, which was, uh, yeah, I just wasn't selected. And there were some of those other bikes, if you can believe it. So that's how we started in 97, but it finished really well. It must have been, must have been a good vibe playing with all the fellas down to the twos. Oh, it was, a, it was quite humorous, you know, just playing with, uh, Gary Abel playing in the seconds, I mean, fair oh, I think he was, he was coming back from injury too, but yeah, and he happened to, it was the last game he ever played. He hurt his knee that day. Um, didn't have the didn't have the recount until about round fourteen, I reckon. He just thought he could distract in his quads and uh, be able to play with an ACL, torn ACL. <laughs> anyway, so in the in the end, he had to go in for the operation, but that was the end of him, and he never played again. But which was pretty sad. And Billy, Billy, we'd all had injuries in the preseason, so Ezzy wasn't taking any risk going into round one. And team one, I think round one, and then I think we might have, well, maybe we lost round one, one round two, then they took the side over to Adelaide and Port Adelaide beat us which was staggering it was only about their third game footy and beat us easily too and I remember watching the game I was up in stall I was at the, the Nash Hotel in stall with my mates having a few beers watching, watching the cats get hammered on television and uh, anyway so crisis meeting on the Tuesday at training and then away we went and got on a bit of a run you then you, you made the move once you retired you made the move media has been something you've been very prolific in and player management which is something you're right at the head of now why, why were those the two parts you chose was it something you've been working on leading into retirement or something you fell into no it wasn't no i just fell into it to be honest i was working for feeler you know the sports brand yeah and um, we were looking after the australian cricket team uh, we were looking after so this was my portfolio if you like from a marketing sense it was the australian cricket team it was geelong and the western bulldogs are my clubs uh, and one of them been Melbourne as well. Anyway, the sides, the, the clubs that were sponsored by Feeler at the time, who was my personal sponsor, that's how I got in there. And then and Johnny Lombard was working for IMG. And John and I have been mates since we were sort of 17, 18. And um, he got approached to go to the Swans. And so he said to me, I think Chris Giannopoulos, who I'm still working with today, so I think he's going to give you a call. I've met Chris a couple of times. And I said, what's he calling me about? He goes, I think he's going to offer you my job. I said, I don't want to be a... I was coaching at the Western Jets. I said, I don't want to be a bloody player manager. Anyway, I met with Chris and initially said no. And then he followed me up about three or four weeks later and offered, offered me the role again. And he ended up talking me into it. My sister was already working at IMG, which was the biggest management company in the world at that time. I think mean, you're talking Tiger Woods and Roger Federer and all these sort of people were talking. Um, yeah, so, but they had that... In the Australian arm, they had, they had the footy division they were trying to build. And John had started it, but then he took off the coach. So I ended up taking the job and that was 20 years ago. So 
yeah, it wasn't something that I'd planned to do, I must say. And uh, I have enjoyed it. It's been good fun. It's been challenging, but it's been good fun. We'll, we'll touch on the details and specifics of trades and things like that, as we go, as I mentioned. But you've been a part of what can only be said as some of the biggest deals in, in AFL history. One that pops to mind is Gary Ablett Jr. and his move from Geelong to the Gold Coast. That I can remember that debate going on all year. Mark Thompson made comments throughout the year. As yeah. Gaz's manager, can you what details can you give to us? What when did that the chat start with Gold Coast? How serious were they when they started? How did that process unfold? Oh, uh, look, I, it started just with a phone call from Scotty Clayton, who was putting together the new Gold Coast list, and so I want to talk to you about um, you potentially get money of players. I said, oh, yeah, no worries. He come come in for a meeting. He said, oh, I said, who are you chasing? Because they were they were they were going to try and sign half a dozen marquee players. I said, which who are you thinking? I wasn't thinking Ablett at that stage. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you want to, we want to get hard at Gary Ablett. I said, oh, good luck getting him out of Geelong. And uh, anyway, so he sold the case. So that was during the year, like during that season, reasonably early in the season, actually. And then it went through till the end of the year and Bomber and Gary had had a few little issues. Um, well, not, well, Bomber had a few issues with Gary not signing. I think that's what it is. Um, Geelong were putting an, put a decent offer to Gary by the end of the year. Um, but in the end, he'd sort of made a commitment to go to the Gold Coast on a five-year deal worth a fortune. So um, he knew it was going to be a big challenge for him. But, uh, and, and look, he changed his mind. He flipped and flopped all year, really, where he said, no, I can't do it. Or, yeah, yeah, I'm keen to do it. And in the end, I just let him go. And the old coach was panicking because they thought, oh, have we got him or not? Because he said he's coming, but now he's sort of wavering a bit. And there were a couple of times during the year that he just, he just said to me, mate, I can't do it. I just can't go. I can't leave Geelong. And so I just let him go. And then I think with, with the stuff that happened, with him and Bomber, had so it was played a contributing factor, and then um, yeah, so that was it. So Gold Coast were panicking, but in the end, he 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 rang me the day after the prelim. They got belted in the prelim by um, Collingwood in two thousand and ten, and he played brilliantly. He was oh, I think he'd had forty something touches to three quarter time. Like he was he was tired but on. Like he was he was playing Collingwood's midfield on his own, yeah. and the next day that and he got moved off the ball in the last quarter. They stuck him in the forward pocket away from the footy. And that frustrated him because he's like, you know, I'm doing, he knew he was playing well. I mean, he had 40 touches at three quarter time. You're playing well. And uh, Bomber took him out of the play. And I think that was, a, that was pretty much it then. Um, when he, yeah. And then he just sort of said to me the next day, he goes, let's do it. So that was it. So you said like he, he flip-flopped a bit and you said the Suns were panicking. Because you said they might've wanted five or six. If they go for Gary, obviously they probably can't land five or six stars. So they put, put all their eggs yeah. in one basket. How, how much were they panicking? And were they in contact with you frequently kind of saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, to the, got to the stage where we were looking at legal, you know, talking to the AFLPA about it, legally looking to see whether he, he could renege on going there. He, in, a, in, a, in a sense, he'd, he'd already actually agreed to go. Um, so he had agreed. he signed something? Well, there was a, there was a document that, it was a non-binding document um, that, because there was a there was a window that they could they could which no one knew about except Gold Coast knew the loophole, so he had done that, but he could have got out of it, and I think they would have got him out of it if he wanted to. But and then the actual contract got signed, you know, obviously after the season. So um, yeah, it was a it was a really tricky time for him because he's uh, yeah he, he just wasn't sure he was going to the great unknown. I mean, there were a bunch of kids, mm. and he didn't even know who the other blokes were. They hadn't even told him who the other players were, the other senior players that were going. Um, so realistically, Gary was the Gary was the pick of them, and he was obviously the one that they targeted with the most, you know, the biggest deal. Uh, but it was a tricky old year. At what point does he did he or you speak to Geelong and say, "Hey guys, 
this this offers on the table and we're seriously considering it. Yeah, well, we didn't look. I mean, all year we'd spoken, and they had every, the whole jungle drums were beating. Everyone knew that there was the Gold Coast had made a play at him, and he was weighing up whether to go there or not. Because we'd been we'd been up the Gold Coast in the January, and him and I flew up to the Gold Coast to meet with with their first initial pitch. And <laughs> if you can believe it, Port Adelaide were staying at the same place. <laughs> we were staying where where, where uh, Travis Ald, the CEO, lived. And so yeah, I knew that was going to get out. So that's when it first came out. Um, which was yeah the Christmas I think January the year before, and um, or January of that year sorry, and yeah so that was where the, where the media speculation happened all year. So um, yeah he was <laughs> yeah it was uh, it was it was a really interesting year and you know as I said the cats by the time the, the season finished I mean they knew he wasn't gonna he was he was gonna take up the Gold Coast offer they put together a good proposal for him but I'd been trying to get him re-signed at Geelong I think two or three years prior to that to try to get him to rip up the current deal and just, you know, put him on the deal that he should have been getting paid. But it didn't, it, they just didn't have any salary cap room. So they said, we just can't. So I said, well, it's going to cost you. Anyway, and it did cost him in the end. He ended up leaving. So Was there anything, you said he, he wanted to stay. Obviously, salary cap was an issue for that for Geelong at that time. But was there anything they could have offered that maybe they didn't, that could have kept him around? Not really. No, they, they put their, their best offer forward in the end. And it was a good offer. And it was something that, Look, if we had a, we had a re, redone his deal, so I didn't do his initial deal. He, he's, 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 his first manager did it and tied him up for five years. Five years on, well, probably okay money at the time, but by the time it, you know, his third and fourth years came, he was the best player in the comp and he was clearly not getting the, the highest paid player at Geelong. You know, so, I mean, I just kept saying, we just got to redo his deal. He, you know, he paid him, really. He's that underpaid and they just didn't have any room to move. So, in the end, he... he they, they saw the deal through and I warned them all the way along. I said, this, this might come back to watch you. I said, well, who are we going to get rid of? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had a number of other players at the time, Joel Corey, James Kelly, uh, Matty Egan, Henry Playfair. Well, we had a few, Paul Chapman. So we had a few down there at the time. So I knew they were tight on the money, but it didn't really, you know, got to the stage where the offer from Gold Coast, they were never going to get anywhere near. And you talked about like all those other players that's something I, do, I don't want to touch on. When you have multiple players like that, that you, you kind of have the idea that, all right, if X signs and X might get pushed out, how, how do you combat those? How do you, like, you know, Gary's probably not going to get what he deserves. And, you know, if he does, that Playfair or Chapman might miss it. How do you deal with those discussions? No, it's, to, be, to be brutally honest, we've got, we don't have that many situations like this. Like some of the other management groups have got half a list. Like the, the South Australia and the two Adelaide clubs, half their list would be managed by the same mob. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. Four or five back then, we sort of knew what the market value was. I do them all individually. So whenever we went in for a discussion, it wasn't a discussion about all of them. It was a meeting about Paul Chapman. It was a meeting about Joel Corey. It was James Kelly or whoever it was. So we haven't got ourselves in that position too much. Um, I mean, we have had a number of players. That group we had was probably the strongest group at the one club. And then we had Geordie Lewis... Buddy, Isaac Smith, uh, all at uh, Hawthorne together. There was one other, Chance Bateman. So there was a couple of those. It's funny. All, it's always the guys where the good players are that have got the salary cap squeeze because they're usually good. They're in good teams. The Richmond to be going through it at the moment. So it's what happens. Um, it comes to the good teams when they're going really well. Everyone wants to put their hand out for more money. So you just got to treat them all individually. That's how I've always done it. Do you get puzzled then if, like you say, the good teams probably should be under salary cap pressure? Do you get a bit puzzled then when you see maybe like a Collingwood last year, 
who put, get themselves in a, in a bit of a pickle. Sydney obviously improving this year, but seem to be in a pickle that no one saw coming. Do you look at it as a player manager and how have these happened if they're not performing as well as a team like Hawthorne and Geelong were in those areas? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. But every club's every club you talk to have got no salary cap room. doesn't matter which club it is. The club at the top or the club at the bottom. Yeah, you have discussions with them all the time, which we're doing now. And it's like, oh, we've got no money. We've got no money. I'm thinking, who are you paying? Because like, everyone's, everyone's salary cap's the same. And you wonder how a, a Richmond, Melbourne will be in this position now. I mean, they've got a lot of good players. Bulldogs, same scenario. So all their players will, will probably be getting less than they can get elsewhere. Hence, you've already seen a couple of Richmond young ones go for more money. So, I mean, that's, that's just going to happen more and more, I reckon. So it does, it does amuse me when I see, you know, clubs that have finished, you know, 16th, 17th, 18th, crying, no, no salary cap room. I'm thinking, well, no, you're paying. Does it maybe come because there is a minimum they have to pay? Do you think maybe that should just be eradicated? Like you should just pay players what you deem them worth and as opposed to having this minimum salary cap you must meet? Uh, yeah, well, I think you, you still need a minimum for the young players. You still need, um, you have to have a minimum from a, from a cap perspective. But, oh, look, I mean, the 95% versus 100%, you know, I mean, it's tough times at the moment. I get it. At the moment, you know, with the cap came back last year as in the, the deductions for COVID, the soft cap's back, coaching is less, they've got less coaches now. Um, it's, it's a tough time for footy at the moment. I mean, I'm not crying, don't worry, I'm not crying poor because the AFL players are still getting well paid. But yeah, it is, there is a squeeze on this. You know, there's a lack of opportunities for young players. We've hardly seen any footy in Victoria for two years. The Victorian kids are at a huge disadvantage. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I do think, you know, you, you just need to be really smart with your list management. Because if you get yourself in trouble, it can set you back. You saw it with the pies. You know, that, that was a fire sale last year because they got themselves uh, up to push his bow with their salary cap. And, you know, that's what happens. You know, people, people fall out over it, which is disappointing. You mentioned Buddy before. One, I want to talk to you. You're obviously part of that deal as well where he, he left Hawthorne and for all money, seen bound to JWS. And then from an outsider's perspective, at the final minute, Sydney came and swooped. What were the intricacies of that deal and how did, how did that play out? How did you guys keep it so under wraps that Sydney were such a major? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it was interesting because I just got tipped the year before and when Buddy was keen to get to Sydney. Now, you can, you can put two and two together and understand why. There were two reasons. One, there was a bit of a fishbowl for him in Melbourne uh, and he, he did want to change. And secondly, Jacinta was in, was in Sydney, his partner. Yeah. He's got her own you know, career up there. So... There was a real push for him to get there. Uh, we did have a lot of discussions with the Giants, but we also spoke to the Swans. We knew damn well if, if the Swans, if it got out that he was going to the Swans, there would have been all hell of the pay, which they ended up being anyway. They, they ended up being that. So, you know, with the fact that they lost Cola and, you know, they weren't able to trade for two years or, you know, it was just, it was diabolical what the AFL did to the Swans. It was diabolical. Uh, so basically what happened was we'd had a meeting with them in January uh, in Sydney so but I didn't think but I thought well Buddy will probably change his mind so yeah we had the meeting Bud's in Sydney seeing his girl uh, I'm up at the, going to the cricket with the coach with Johnny Longmire we're going to the, to the Sydney test we have a meeting with Andrew Ireland's place they do a quick medical on him um, and then oh. that was it and then they said alright well, we're, we're pretty keen I said well, yeah realistically if it gets out it's, it's it won't happen it's just not going to happen there'll be there'll be too many issues if, if it gets out so it was a real needs-to-know basis of who knew. So realistically, it was myself, Buddy, uh, and whoever he told. I'm assuming he's told his mum and dad and his partner. I'm not sure. But it was very, very low-key. And then it was Andrew Island, 
Johnny Longmire, the footy manager, Dean Moore, Kenny Beach and the recruiting manager, and the chairman, Richard Collis. And Richard took on the heat of the whole board. Like, so he took on, because when you ever went to the board, the whole board, they always leak. Look at Carlton's mm. situation. They leak like Sibs boards. So, yeah, so what happens is he, on behalf of the board, um, ticks it off the deal. And I just said to him, this is what the deal is. You know, this is the number. And I said, oh, geez, oh right, okay. Andrew said, I'll come back to you. And he rang me and he said, oh, he said, uh, we've got you that, we've got the deal for you, got you the money. So that's good. Excellent. He goes, it's a pretty long deal. And I said, well, how long are we talking, Andrew? He said, we can do it over nine years. I said, nine years? Jingo. Anyway, so I rang, um, I said, oh, I'll put, it to, I'll put it to Buddy and let's work out how it structures up. And it's been pretty well reported. It's 10 million over nine years. I just put the number to him because I knew I could get that out of the other mob, um, the Giants. And, and to be honest, if Buddy couldn't have got to Swans, he would have gone, he would have gone to the Giants. And he, his preference was to go there, to go to Sydney. That was just it. But he really wanted to go to the Swans, established club, and the Giants were still pretty young. So, and new. So um, I rang Buddy up and said, Oh, no, Buddy, we've got that deal. Oh, Ripper. And I said, uh, It's a similar to Andrew. He said, Man, it's a long deal. He goes, How long? I said, Nine years. He said, How old am I going to be when it finishes? I said, oh, I don't know, 40. <laughs> and he's laughed his head off. He said, Yeah. He goes, I said, you're going to have to really be a pro to get through nine years. Yeah, do everything right. And uh, anyway, he's still going. It's his ninth year next year. And there's a chance he'll play on. So he's been, he's, been, he's been an enormous player for him. I know they haven't got a premiership. But yeah, that's how that deal went down. And yeah, it was, it was a really um, a really tricky time. Because, again, I'm using the word tricky a lot. But it was because when you got these deals, I'm sitting, at, I'm sitting across Hutch from Hutchie every Saturday morning doing radio. And Hutchie's, at that time, the biggest newsbreaker in the game. Well, he's breaking stories left, right, and center. And Hutchie and I go back 25 years. He had no idea. And that's one of my proudest moments. The fact that Hutch, even Hutch, had no idea it was going to be the Swans. He still says to me, I, I had an inkling. I said, no, he didn't. No, he didn't, Hutch. So the fact that he didn't get hold of it, and it's a credit to, uh, it's a credit to the way the Swans went about it as well. I mean, in our situation, it was only me and James who worked with me in the management, works with me in the management team that knew but it was really just me dealing mainly with Andrew Island on it, who's the CEO. And at what point of the year was that discussed when they came to you with the offer and you tell Buddy, what point of the year was that? Oh, later in the year. I'm not sure exactly when. It was later in the season. I, I knew it was going to come, though. I knew yeah. it was coming. Because what happened with Hawthorne is the whole, I met with Graham Wright and we talked about a deal for Buddy extending it, et cetera, et cetera. And Bud wasn't keen to entertain it at all. He just said, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to even look at it. Anyway, so I met with Roddy a few times. He's a good operator, Roddy. And it got to the middle of the year and they said, look, we're going to have to put a, we're going to have to get, put your, a time frame on you because we've got to know what we're doing. And so the, all the whispers where he was going, the Giants, right? So that was all the whispers. So I think it was July 1st, something like that, July 1st. They said the, deal's on, the deal we've offered you for three years or whatever it was, is till, it's, it's a cutoff point July the 1st. After that, we're just expecting to leave. I said, no worries. And that was it. So we went on. And in the meantime, Wrighty and Steve Silvani, who were good mates, who was a list manager at the, Gi- at the Giants at the time, they were concocting their own deal yeah. to get Buddy there. So, so Hawthorne would have been better compensated. They knew he was going. Hawthorne could have matched, well, they could have matched the deal as it turned out anyway, but they chose not to. So I always find it, I always find it surprising when people just 
say, I used to, what about what you did to Hawthorne? Well, no. One, the player wanted to go to go to Sydney to live. Secondly, if your club really wanted him, Hawthorne could have matched the deal. They could have just matched and he stays at Hawthorne for nine years. They didn't want to. And it gets lost in everyone's discussion. It always gets lost that the Hawks had a chance to match. The Hawks withdrew their offer middle of the year. Wouldn't have, don't get me wrong. They would have retabled it if I'd asked them to. But July 1st or whatever it was, the offer that they tabled earlier in the year was gone. So we were really only dealing with one club. And we never really got into the nitty gritty with the Giants. We should have sent some warning bells to them, to be honest. They put an offer to me, which was similar offer to what, um, what was a good offer. Um, there was nothing like the Swans. Uh, and the fact that I hadn't even gone back and tried to negotiate a better deal, to me, that should have given them warning signs that, we, that it, there's something not right here. But, you know, unless they just thought I was a, you know, a dummy that just walked in off the street and whatever they put to me, I was going to agree to. I mean, which they wouldn't have. They don't go be yelling and saucer and that way it works. So, yeah, to me, we just had to keep it quiet. And you can see why with what happened afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was it was incredibly well done because you say things get like constantly. It's like, you know, personally for mine, I, I find things out and you hear things and you hear whispers. And that one was just, I mean, there was to say there wasn't even a whispers in on the statement. There was not an inkling. There was nothing. No. Um, at the same time, you had Buddy. Am I right in saying you, were, you had Clarko on your books as well at that time? Yeah. How, how, do you, yeah. how do you deal with that? There's... I mean, what, what do you do there? Because Clarko, obviously, you've got a vested interest in how he goes and how he performs. And a lot of how he performs yep. has a bit of whether Buddy's in his team or not. And then you're negotiating for Bud to leave. I mean, how was that relationship? How did, how did you negotiate those waters? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Buddy and, uh, and Alistair had a, good, had a very good relationship. But there was a, a better year, a year before that had a bit of a blow up over Clarko flying to Vegas to, to, to talk to him about the trade period the year before, because he's sort of seeing the writing on the wall, thinking, well, if you're going to go, mate, let's do it. Let's trade you now, this year, when we can trade for you. We've got a year to go. So that was the discussion he had with Bud, and he had it with me as well. And Buddy wasn't entertaining it. He had a year to go on Hawthorne's deal. So that was the trade period before. And I, to, be, to be honest, I, I actually didn't speak to Alistair at all at, again, about Buddy's contract for the whole year. He never asked me once about it, not once. And we've been mates since we were 18. Like him, Longmire and I have been mates. The three of us have been great mates since we were kids. And we, we still are. Much to, I know people don't believe that, but Clarko and I are still good mates. Anyway, so that was how it went down. And he rang me after the trade went through. He still hadn't spoken to me. And he rang me and said, I've got to, I want to come and see you. So I reckon he just... Because they didn't get anything. They did, only got the compo pick. And he, they didn't get what they wanted. If, if he had gone to the Giants, Clarko wouldn't have, wouldn't have... He would have just said, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we weren't going to pay him what he wants. You know, we're, going to, we're getting something in return. I don't think he would have been a problem. But the fact that the Swans of all teams who had, you know, had beaten him in a grand final a couple of years earlier, I think that was, the, that was the hardest thing for him to swallow. And the fact that it's, he knows Horse and I are best mates and we're all mates. And anyway, there was a lot of that going on with, with it. But he came and saw me in the office and we, he said, I just want you to outline exactly how the year went. I want to know exactly what happened. So I told him. See, this is what happened in January. We were there, had a meeting. I told him the background with the buddy. He knows what he knew about Jacinta because they were going out, obviously. Uh, explained to him all through the year what had happened. Told him exactly what the Giants. I never told the Giants he was going to the Giants. Never once said that. So, you know, people can say all they want. And I don't know if they say, oh, 
you, you told the Giants. I never told the Giants anything. I never said he was going there. What Buddy said that Leon Cameron, who was his mate from Hawthorne, might be a different story. I, don't, I doubt he would have said he was going there, but he would have said, he, yeah, I want to come and live in Sydney, which is, a, which is right. But Clarko, in the end, Clarko just said to me, he goes, mate, this will happen again. And he said, so really, you've got a choice to make. You can either manage, because it will happen with another player. He said, you can either manage coaches or players. It's up to you. And I said, well, mate, we've got you and Horse. That's it. And I said, I've got 45 players. So what do you think I'm going to choose? So, yeah, we shook hands and it was all good. And then he rang me and he said, oh, look, I'm going to put on this boat. It's James Henderson. I said, oh, yeah, I know. You know. Yeah, this was maybe six months later, I reckon, just to help him out with some off-field commercial stuff. And now he's doing his other stuff as well. But yeah, our relationship's still still good. I could, if I rang him up and said, you want to catch up for a bit tomorrow, he would. Like, it's, you know, I'll do the same. Um, it's just that we don't have that close working relationship that we had for eight years or whatever it was since he started, like 10 years since he started. So you mentioned that you guys are very close and not, not looking for a scoop or anything, but just a personal opinion on Clarko. Does he coach next year in your personal opinion? You know, actually, you sound like Sammy... Uh, Sammy McClure, he actually, you're digging like him too. Uh, I don't know. Like the, the, the truthful answer is I don't know. Uh, obviously, I had a hand in, because um, I was looking after Teague, I was across that um, situation. I didn't like the way that Carlton treated Alistair. I treated David at all in the way the process went. In saying that, now he has gone. Uh, I think if they can get Clarko, they should go under mile an hour and get him. That's my view. Now, will, will he coach? Normally, when he says something, he normally sticks to it. If he says he's going to have a year off, but what an opportunity. I mean, you don't get a better opportunity to coach a big club than you know, a big Melbourne club if you don't want to take the year off. And I think he'd be mad if he didn't. If they offered him a decent deal, and they will, um, and he's got, still got the hunger and he thinks he's going to coach in 12 months, I'd, I'd snap it off now and just coach next year and coach Carlton. That was what, that's what I would do. If, and that's what I would advise him to do. If I was managing him, I'd, I'd say, oh, I understand you want to have a break, but you know, this is a list that's got a, a spine. You, you're going in with a spine already there. You know, yeah, they've got some other areas of their, of their team they need to improve, but they've got terrific defenders. They've got two good, real good young key forwards. They've got Sammy Walsh and Cripps in the middle. I mean, there's something to work with. There's something to work with there. In a year's time, he'll still have opportunities. Um, so I, I don't know is the answer to your question. I, I don't know whether he'll coach next year, but I'm hundred percent certain he'll be coaching in 2023. Yeah, I can't imagine if he's still available then that there won't be 17 clubs, if not 18 again, knocking on the door. Um, you mentioned Teague there. Um, obviously, the way that panned out was pretty tumultuous and it probably went on for a bit longer than I think anyone think feels it needed to. How, how are you sitting back? You're, you're observing that. Did you get much communication from the club as to what was going on? With, for one, when the review started and when it was... Once it was said by Mark Lajushay, Teague wasn't in the review, no. then he was in the review. Then obviously once the season ended and it was that, what well, I think it was like a two-way period where it seemed like the writing was on the wall, but then it wasn't. I mean, how, do you, how did you deal with that? What was, that must have been oh, a mess just, for you guys. Oh, it was just, I just thought it was really, you know, personal opinion. You don't treat people like that. But, you know, and that's my view. I thought it was poorly handled. Um, communication? Nah, got nothing really. Not, not for the whole year. Not really. I mean, they'll get that review was going on. They never said much to me. They didn't say much to Teague. Um, it went from being a review not about the coach to a review totally about the coach. Well, as it turned out now, and the CEO, who was part of that. So, now I felt for, I don't just feel for, I feel for Teague, obviously, but I, I also feel for Kane Little. 
he was a good he was a good administrator. Did a very good job, I think, when he was there. Brian Cook will be great for him. Don't get me wrong. Um, and Brad Lloyd, tough on Brad Lloyd. Um, but this is what happens. They're making making big calls now. If they can land Clarkson and Brian Cook, if they can get Alistair now, well, then you take your hat off to him. You go, oh, well, bang, good, good on you. You, you. you know, I mean, it is bad luck for for Teague. And I really, I do feel for him. I think he would have with another year. With some more support around him, I think he would have coached really well for him next year. And so I won't change my mind on that. But now that it's now that he is gone and he's no longer there, throw the kitchen sink at Alistair. But I mean, I keep hearing the money that they're allegedly offering him, prepared to offer him. It's, it's just not viable. It's not feasible to do that. If, you, if the money that's being talked about to offer Alistair, it's crazy money because he won't be coaching by himself. And he's not that's he's too smart for that. Like he knows that if he takes too much, that he's gonna have a skeleton staff. It's exactly what he did at Hawthorne. He he actually gave some of his own money to David Rath to get him across. Because he you know, I said, well, what are you doing giving money back? I just signed your first deal, mate. He goes, No, no, because this player's gonna help me win. It was it was such a mature thing to do for a young coach. He was only about 36 at the time. So um, so yeah, he he yeah, if they can get him, go and get him. Did Teague talk to you in that time, probably more towards the end of the season when a few bad losses built up and the pressure really started to heat? Did he talk to you at any point saying, oh, you know, I'm hearing nothing? What's going on? Like, did he say anything to you that made you go, Jesus Christ, what, what's going on here? Or was it just, could you say from your position that this wasn't working? No, well, well, you could just look at the results. I mean, there were just a couple of horrible ones that finished, which really, that probably finished Teague off, to be honest. You know, lost to North Melbourne. To be honest, it wasn't that bad a loss because actually North were playing pretty well back then. But the Gold Coast loss was a baddie. Um, yeah, so, and the Port Adelaide, well, they got half a team in. So, but I was feeling for him and I was speaking to him regularly about it. But yeah, I mean, the, he could feel the pressure mounting and and he got, look, he's a pretty happy, carefree guy, um, Teague, and a great, great person. And yeah, I, I, just, I thought it was unfair, but yeah, you could feel it. You could see speaking to him, you could, you could hear it in his voice that it was having an effect on him uh, in the last sort of two or three weeks of the season and certainly the next couple of weeks after that before they made the call. Yeah, I could see. Like, I, I think I was at press conferences most weeks with him and you could see as the year went on that, um, that pressure building and probably, yeah, the performances probably weren't there for the Blues, but I think you're right in saying that it, the support that he had around him and I think he said it himself that he felt like he could have been better supported towards the end of the year. When, when he made those comments, obviously that last press conference, he seemed to... He, he got a few things off his chest. And then you came out and made a few comments after Ross Lyon had his say on footy classified. Was that, did you guys yep. at that point kind of think, all right, we may as well get on the front foot here because sitting here passively waiting isn't getting us anywhere? No, not really. Um, we didn't speak about it. I mean, I knew T was going to be strong in, his, in that press conference. I knew he was going to do that, which I, I, yeah, we did speak about. But no, he had no idea what I was going to say. He had me... And to be honest, I didn't know what I was going to say until I watched that Wednesday night show and I heard him auditioning for the job and I, I didn't like it. That, that was my view. I didn't like it. Um, and you know, as it's turned out, he's not up for the, not up for the process anyway. So, um, but no, it wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't something Teague and I spoke about. I mean, we spoke about him, you know, how he was going to address his own situation. Nothing to do with Ross Lyon. Ross Lyon just came up on circumstance and I was asked about it and I said what I thought. And I think, yeah, as you said, he's obviously not in the race now. So the process has been a bit here and there and all, all over the shop. Um, but when you, when you made those comments, did, did you know when you said it, are you thinking afterwards, you're thinking, yep, that's, that's going to get run with for a bit here? Um, 
oh, I didn't care, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't care. I'm not, you know, I'm not dancing around the fact that I don't like people. I mean, T's still in the job. And Ross had been, you only have to ignore it for another two weeks and three weeks. And, and then once Teague had gone, say what you want. No, I wouldn't have cared. But the fact is he's still sitting there and he's trying to keep his job. And you're having make meetings with him behind his back. Yeah, you know, not behind Teague's back. It's nothing to do with um, Ross, what, what, he, what he does and does. But yeah, I just, I just didn't like it. I, and it wasn't just at Ross. I did like the Luke Sayers angle with the way it was, you know, they'd been meeting, they'd had all these meetings, you know, over, throughout the course of the year. I mean, yeah, they might be great mates. I don't know. I just didn't like it. But did I think they'd get a bit of traction on it? Yeah, I got a fair bit of feedback. <laughs> not all positive, um, but that's all right. I mean, it's 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 fine. I mean, we're all we're in this game. It's a, you know, these are guys I played footy against. Like I played footy against Ross Lyon, so there's no. If I was walking down the street, and bumped into him. I'd say good day. It wouldn't worry me, but he might not say anything back to me. But I, I, to be honest, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Let's put it that way. Nah, fair, fair enough. Man. All right, we'll move, we'll move to the trade and free agency stuff. This is, I think, stuff that everyone wants to know about, the, the intricacy of these deals and the way they all go down. Some of us, some people have no idea that it doesn't all happen right in this in tra- or trade week as it used to be. So we're looking to you now to kind of give us an insight. Um, when, when players want, want a trade, so someone under your books wants a trade, how, do they come to you first? Do they say, hey, you know, can you start putting the feelers out? Can you maybe call X club or Y club. I want, you know, I want to go home. How does that, how does that process start? Well, it's uh, really, it's, it's going all the time. We, when we do our, we meet with list managers, recruiting officers, recruiting managers all the time. And we send through our, our contracted list. So now our out of contract list, obviously, but we'll just work through every player on the list. Well, we have some interest in him. No, he's not going to go. He won't be going anywhere. He's got two more years to go. Jeez, we're keen on We'd love to get him. Yeah. Well, you might love to get him, but he's contracted. So, and he won't want to leave. And then they'll try and work it out of there, you know, which players, especially the ones out of contract, the ones out of contract that they, like last year with Isaac Smith, for example, in the trade period, he was a free agent. So he just had to choose his club, whether Melbourne or Geelong. Um, you know, so that's, he worked with the Cats. Um, Josh Dunkley was in contract with two years to go. Essendon were the one driving that to the stage where Dunks was keen to look at it. Um, anyway, but I said to him from the get-go, I said, you've got two years to go on your contract, mate. I said, it's not going to be easy to get it done. And so I said to Adrian, see, we go down this track, mate, <laughs> to Adrian Dodora. I said, yeah, don't, leave us, don't leave a big matzo ball hanging out there, like out of Seinfeld. Don't leave it hanging out there. Anyway, as it turned out, they couldn't get the deal done, which was disappointing. But at the time, but you know, you know what? He's playing, in the, he's playing in the grand final on, on the weekend. So good on him. And he'll, so, and he'll probably extend there. And he'll probably extend there. Let's be honest. He's got a year to go. Um, I haven't heard anything else. We're not actively out there. We weren't actively out there pushing him last year. The Bombers came to us because they were looking for that sort of player. So, um, but yeah, the, the, the talk goes on all year with these clubs. So especially the guys that are out of contract. And so we'll have a really good handle going in. I don't think it's going to be a very busy trade period. Just going on. I spoke to two clubs today and neither of them. I said, what are you doing during the trade? What are you looking for? Nah, no money. No money. Just no go money to draft. Again. We might just go to draft. No money. Yeah, it's two clubs today. And so this so, goes on all the time. So you're saying, just quickly go back, Josh Dunkley, you think he'll, he'll sign on at the Dogs now? Essendon haven't made contact with you again regarding him? Oh, we've had this, I've had discussions with Adrian just going through the normal stuff. He goes, oh, he comes out next year. And I just said, I'm not even going to entertain anything at the moment with him. And so, no, nah, nah, we'll, look, I personally, I think he'll, he'll extend at the Dogs. That's what I think, I think he will. But um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on him. 
Fair, fair, fair play. I think it, it was an interesting one last year. I think, yeah, once, once the grand final's done and dusted, I'm, I'm sure we'll see, see that at least the name risen up, rose up again. Um, yeah, oh, you won't, it, won't be, mate, it won't be happening. You won't be getting traded. That's not going to happen <laughs> this year. I guarantee, I'll guarantee you you won't be getting traded this year. You can lock that in as, a, as an exclusive. He's, he's, he'll be part of the dogs next year. Oh, lovely, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll take that. Um, how does it... Let's let's say let's say just for example, Josh Dunkley comes in and, and he does offer he does say to you, "Hey, I want to go," and we're just using him as an example. How do you then communicate with the with the footy club and move that deal forward? Well, got some some muppet ringing me at the moment, so a number I don't know either. Uh, here we go, we're back. Um, so, sorry, what was the question again? So essentially, if a player under your books wants to be traded and they, and they say, yep. hey, yep, I want to go, when they tell you, how does that discussion with the, like, essentially the trade request, how do you hand that in? Um, yeah, well, it's just really just about the timing of it. It's just got to say to the club, look, if you get a deal, we can do a trade, you know, he's keen to go here. And look, that's where I take that off to the Bulldogs last year. They said from the get-go, he's, he's not going anywhere. He's one of their, he's in their leadership group. He's one of their required players. I said, look, just letting you know, Anyway, and then it's up to the clubs then to come to an agreement if they can. And they couldn't reach one last year with Dunks. So well, that's what happens. But, yeah, it's normally you just, you'd just go to the club and say, you know, this guy, for this reason, wants out. Or he's keen to get somewhere if we can look at doing a trade. And if they're uncontracted, it's a lot easier. But if they're in contract, the club has a whip hand. So you sort of can't do much about it. Do you think you say that the club has the whip hand there? There, there is a school thought maybe that players, probably more in terms of selecting where they go, are getting more and more power. We're seeing the nomination of club, which I mean, when I was a kid, just wasn't a thing at all. Do you think? Do you think that's a good thing that players are being able to say, oh, "I want to go play at Essen, I want to play at Carlton, I want to play at Collingwood," and that really they're getting that deal? Do you think that's a good thing? The players getting that amount of power. Um, well, I'll be, I'll be on the player side. So of course, because, you know, I represent the players. But, yeah, look, it's not as easy as that. I mean, you just can't have a guy that's got a contract for the year or two, two years. Anything over a year to go, nearly impossible, in my view. That's what happened with the Lockie Neal one. Whether that was real or not, who knows. But the Lockie Neal one, with two years to go, like Dunks last year, two years on a contract, you know, the club have all the power. And you just, they've just got to be strong enough to think they can convince the guy. And they need... And the Bulldogs in that situation, the Bulldogs knew that Dunks was a quality person. And then initially it might be tough, but then he'll be fine. And that's exactly how it's worked out for him. And he's had a, you know, he's had a few injuries this year, but he gets to play in the grand final for him. Um, and Lockie Neal, I think, was a bit the same. You know, I don't even know how that story originated, but Lockie has got two years on a contract left. Now, will they revisit it next year? Maybe. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know that situation very well at all. But yeah, they don't always get where they want to go. You know, I think clubs just think if they can get something decent in return and they're happy for them to go, they'll do the deal with the club they want. But if they're not going to, they won't. They just won't trade them to a, to a team unless they get looked after. So I think like the, the perfect analogy of this, he might be Adam Scherer. So it's been widely reported that he'll nominate Carlton. Carlton's a, the, probably the only club that can facilitate a deal that will please the Dockers, who notoriously can be can play a bit of hardball. He has met yeah. with the Ds. So in, in like, from your expertise, you're saying, so if, even if he nominates Melbourne and he says, oh, actually, I want to go to the Ds, Freo is still very possibly going to be like, well, actually, we can't get a deal done there, but we can with Carlton. So, you know, this is where we're going to yeah. see. Well, that's happened before, hasn't it? I mean, remember that happened with Nick Stevens back yeah. in the day? Nick Stevens wanted to go to Collingwood. There was no way they could get a deal done at the time. So he ended up getting, going to Carlton. And that might be what happens with, with Adam Cherry as well. It, it may be that look, Davis just won't have enough to give. Like, I just, personally, unless they trade a player to him as well, um, 
He's out of contract, isn't he, Alan Turin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, look, he'll get... He should be able to get a deal with Carlton. If Carlton want him, uh, they're just going to have to give up something good to get him. It's yeah. as simple as that. So, um, and I think they will. You know, if they really want him, they'll go and get him. Yeah, well, and I think Fremantle, as long as they're compensated, they'll do the deal. I think, especially, is it is it hard to keep, mate, like someone who wants to go home, obviously that return home factor. I mean, it would be hard to to convince him otherwise, wouldn't it really? Yeah, I think so. Well, he's had a year to, he had a year to think about it. So it's not like he's made that decision, you know, in the last sort of 24 hours. He's he's obviously had plenty of discussions with, you know, with his with his family, and you know, it's it's probably genuine. I know there are a lot of people that are cynical when it comes to, oh, let's go home factor. Well, sometimes players just don't settle. I mean, Jordan Dawson wouldn't be leading the Swans because he doesn't like the Swans. I mean, he wants to be near family, and COVID has made things really tricky, like because you can't travel. Like, I mean, I can understand why Lockie Neal might want to go back to Perth where he's having a baby and all that sort of stuff. I can understand it. Um, in the past, yeah, the go-home factors, yeah, a lot of players have used it as a bit of a furphy, really. But, you know, there is genuine reasons for a lot of them as well. One, one school of thought around, and Kerrigan's just an example because he's 21, but with, well, should clubs maybe be able to, I know they do re-sign like first-year players pretty quickly after they join. But should that first deal maybe be a bit longer? Should there be a loyalty bonus for players before the age of 21? Maybe to encourage some of these, mainly Victorian boys, when they head in the state to stay on and, you know, to give that, that Freeman or that West Coast another year or two um, just to see if they really can settle in? Well, I personally don't. No, I think two years is enough. I think two years because, as you said, I mean, players that get drafted, they're already talking about if they've only just signed the normal two years, which is mostly what it is. I, don't, I think I've only ever done one three-year deal for a draft day, which was Mitch Brown at West Coast because he was he was keen to do a longer-term deal. Ballarat boy over in Perth. Go figure. But anyway, we did a third year with him. But he's the only one. I can't remember. I can't think of one other player I've done a third year on because you just don't know what their value is. Like, if we, if we set a third year, like there are players like Sam Walsh. Like, how many Sam Walsh? Three years now in the system? Yeah. Yeah, so he goes from 80 grand, 90 grand match payments to 500 grand. Like, what, he's worth 500 grand, 600 grand in his, second, in his third year because he's a star. So what, what, what value are you going to put on that third year? Are yeah. you just going to take money away from folks that are, that are good enough to get it? Yeah. Well, that's the reality. If, if your culture's good, and we had a great example with the Brownlow, Ollie Wines, old man told me the day of the draft, if he goes to Port, as long as he doesn't end up at Port Adelaide, and I, we, we don't even manage him. I spoke to him about managing him. He only said, oh, just as long as he doesn't end up in the bloody draft, at the Crows, at the Power, sorry. And how many times, oh, he'll be straight on, he'll be straight home after, you know, that's what they said. So he's done his two years, he's coming up. He's still there. <laughs> they for him now. I mean, if your culture's right and you build a good, happy club, players, players will stay. Josh, Kennedy, Josh Kelly, I should say. He's, he's, he's staying at the Giants. Yeah. Western Sydney. I mean, there are plenty of examples. Toby Green. How many clubs do you reckon in Melbourne wouldn't want to get their hands on Toby Green? He ain't going anywhere. So there are really good examples. If you run a good program, and they all do now, and you have a good welfare system and good coaching, they'll be the odd one that will be genuinely missing family and need to be around support. And then there'll be others that um, maybe take the mickey a bit and, and you know, want to get out for their own reasons. But then there'll be the majority of them that will stay and they'll be locked in to be long-term players and stay clubs. 
Yeah, I think absolutely right. I think culture's the can. We see that right there. I think the Giants are a great example. I think Kelly's been coming home every year since he sold, yeah. since he started there. And every time he recommits and they hold on to the players that they want, they tend to keep. Um, yeah. Just a, just a few more and then we're not far from wrapping up, Pickers. But one I want to talk to you, it's a personal pet peeve of mine, is players that are out of contract like Xerra and the idea of trading for said player um, when essentially they don't have a deal on the table. I know we, we have free agency in the AFL and it's, in its really in its infancy, but where do you, where do you sit as a player manager when, when you do have someone that's out of contract who wants to leave and then you have to facilitate a trade? Um, obviously, you've seen yeah, like Jack a Martin, trade for a, Yeah, a trade for a player or for a pick? Or you uh, for, for a player. So say, like, say now if Adam Chera is out of contract and he wants yeah. to trade, should a, a player that doesn't actually realistically have a contract for next year, should he just be able to walk out as a free agent? Or do you like? Do you, I just find it a bit of an oxymoron when you're trading for someone who doesn't have a deal. Yeah, well, I mean that's just the way the rules are. That's what they do. But yeah, you're probably right. You you, you might be onto something. Uh, I've never given it much thought to be honest. I just work with the rules we've got. So, um, and usually you've got to convince. But sometimes you've got to convince players to go. That's the other thing. And we've had examples over the years where they've been desperately wanting one of our players. And it was a famous example. Actually, it was Mitch Brown again. Essendon made a real big play for him. And he was keen to get to leave the West Coast. He was keen to get to Essendon. And Essendon, to get the trade done, they said, West Coast said, we'll do it, but we want Kyle Hooker. And they said, um, sorry, we'll, we'll put it to Kyle. Kyle turned his phone off. He, he wasn't entertaining. It didn't, it didn't matter. He just wasn't going. He didn't Because yeah, they thought he was a West Australian boy. We'll get Brown from, from West Coast. You can have Hooker. and It'll all be a good marriage. He came and... and but he just said, no, I'm not going back to West Australia. I don't want to go back to West Australia. I want to stay here. And to the stage where Bob and Thompson, I think, and, and Adrian Delora went around to his house to try and get onto him because they couldn't get onto him. And he didn't answer the door. <laughs> and then the trade deadline came the next day. He came out. They rang him and said, oh, you know, you know, the those things we were saying about, you know, that you've got to go and you won't get a game. And like, yeah, it's all forgotten now. And our bloke ended up staying, staying at the West Coast. But... Yeah, he uh, he won the best and fairest, I think, the next year. It was all Australian. <laughs> so, and, and Mitch, Mitch kept playing for the West Coast. So, they do sometimes try and force a hand of other bucks as well. But, you know, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we had Brownie, I thought it was hilarious. I said, what's going on? They said, oh, we can't get on to him. He's turned his bloody phone off. <laughs> oh, God. That's all time. That's all time. Um, yeah, with trading, and we spoke about how discussions happened in, early in the year. You look at the NRL and it's... Players going middle of the year, yep, he's off to here, he's off to here. Is that somewhere maybe we, as, an, as a code, need to get to or will get to? You see, like, players, our fans are still very much, you know, you don't want to hear about players maybe leaving and we're not ready for it. But is that somewhere we're heading where players can say in the middle of the year, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving in six games' time, I'm going back to Melbourne? Or yeah, if, the, if, if, the, um, if the clubs are mature enough, you know, to be able to treat their players properly, which they do in the rugby league, um, but the problem is, we've seen one, I can think of one example, Jared Waite, when he was leaving Carlton to go to North, didn't they just, just say to him, just go now? We've got four oh, rounds to go. Lockie Henderson, I think it was, it was Lockie Henderson. Oh, it was Lockie Henderson. It was Lockie Henderson, it was too. Sorry, I thought it was Jared Waite. Lockie Henderson, yeah. They are, right, off you go. We're not, we're not picking you. So that's the sort of thing that you've got to, if we can get past that part of it, um, and we can understand that, because a lot of, look, Fremantle are probably known for ages at Adam Chera's going. They didn't stop them picking him every week. So I do think we'll probably end up somewhere around that. I'm not saying I, I personally agree with it, but, you know, I think the industry is always wanting change. And I think that would be one that they, 
that most people would want to would want to at least know a bit more clarity and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think hundred percent. I think you look at the NBA. I think we as a code we tend to follow American sports a bit, and they have mid season trading, which we're probably not going to get to any time soon. But I think yeah, the the more fluent we are and the more open we are to these changes, I think the the code will be better. Um, lastly, just as a player manager now, putting putting that hat on as we've had it pretty much on the whole time, but is there anything you personally from your end, obviously be as biased as you like, that you'd like to see come in that would just benefit you and, and the players? Anything that you think the AFL could work on that you guys would love to see brought in? Nothing really that jumps out at me, I must say. I'm not... Um... I mean, I'm happy just to, to go with the flow. I think they do a pretty good job. I mean, the AFL, the AFLPA and the AFL have, have got together, I think, a, a lot more freedom for players, a lot more freedom with, you know, free agency and, and obviously the draft's been around for a long time, but the free agency is important. The, you know, the, the, pre, the, the drafting before the season starts, the mid-year draft, I think there are more opportunities. I just, I'd like list size to go back up. That's what I'd personally like. Because it gives more players a chance to play at the top level, but, yeah, they, they're hell-bent on reducing them, it seems. Although it doesn't look like it'll happen, go backwards anymore. But, yeah, I, I think our list sizes were fine. Uh, I think it's the, the squeeze from a financial point of view has, has made it tricky. So, from a movement perspective, I think they're getting better all the time. And it wouldn't surprise me if they will do trading, you know, mid-year trading at some stage. That won't surprise me at all if that happens. Yeah, I think oh, that'd be I think that'd be crazy. It'd be a lot of fun, for sure. A lot of fun. Um, look, Pickers, thank you so much. It's been a, a fast hour, but I've absolutely loved every second of it. Thank you so much for all your insight and all, all your info. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Good on you. Thanks, Benno. Enjoy, mate. Enjoy, mate. Thank you.